Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode, and this week it's episode 200 of the podcast! Uh, Yes, it's very exciting, it's our 200th episode, and we're doing a sort of live episode. Uh, Previously we've done live episodes, but that was before COVID. So we are doing a live-ish episode with a few people who've appeared on the podcast before, but we've got uh, two regulars who are going to be reviewing it in the traditional manner. Uh, It, what is it exactly? Well, it is Dracula from 1931, because it's turning 90 years old. Uh, Our guest who has not seen the film, it is Anna Sheehy. How are you doing, Anna? Good evening, Stephen. Yes, yes, sorry, I should have been doing this voice. How are you? Ah, ah. I'm so sorry that I've encouraged this, (laughs) especially at the top of the show. We should kill it now, but stay through the heart, silver, etc. I'm very good, thank you. How you doing? I'm, I'm pretty good. You have never seen Dracula from 1931. Not once. No, I think you're probably in the more common seat for most I would people. I think so, yeah. Um, but but what do you know about it? Um, it's going to have Dracula in it, and I think this is the original storyline from the original novel, or fairly close to, like a fairly honest adaptation of that. So I'm pretty keen to see that because I feel like what most of I know about the storyline is pretty distilled through pop culture lens and mm. brought down to its most basic elements of just this is Dracula. He's the original vampire. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to see the real story. Excellent. And um, I, I suppose Dracula, like, is, is he one of the... Mm, I'm trying to think how to phrase this question. I was about to say, is Drac one of your faves? And I was like, <laughs> that's not how that question should be addressed. Um, he's very glamorous and very fashionable. And, I mean, he's an icon of the monster world. So, yeah, I would say he's... T- Top, top five, for He's sure. in your top five? I would say so, so. so Dracula, your own personal top five of like scary movie monsters, you'd, you'd put Dracula in there? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, joining us is someone who has seen this film, uh, and we'll find out his own uh, Drac rating as well. It is Robert Woods. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy, indeed. Uh, how you doing, Rob? Yeah, about a seven. Excellent. And Dracula. Dracula. 1931. Yeah. Um, in a vague non-spoilery sort of way, what, what can people who haven't seen this film expect from it? They can expect uh, a, a very theatrical black and white telling of the, the basic story of Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And uh, obviously this film is perhaps most well remembered for it being the, the debut, on film at least, of Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Mm. Um, and, and obviously becomes the template for pretty much all Draculas that follow. And all, all the Universal monster movies, pretty much, as well. Indeed. Um, where, where's Dracula in your sort of uh, horror pantheon? Oh, he, he's up there. I mean, he is the leader of the Monster Squad, so, like, the, he's, the, he's, the, he's the brains of the group. Mm. <laughs> so. There's not a lot of competition with some of them. <laughs> I mean, it's true. There, there isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's got the... I guess the the sex appeal, the charm, the the tragic, dark, brooding anti-hero. Mm. Well, I guess that's more of a later thing in the original one, not so much. But mm. that's that's kind of how we know him today. So, yeah, excellent. And um, I, I suppose I should ask you both before we jump into this. Do you have a favorite Dracula adaptation? Like, like what when you think Dracula, is there a particular one you jump to uh, in terms of I suppose Dracula films? Um. I mean, I can't go past. Uh, it's technically can't 
Count Olaf, Count Olak, the 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 one from Nosferatu. Oh. Um. Anyway, I can't go past uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which is the making of the movie of right. Nosferatu. All right. Um, where Willem Dafoe plays the vampire, and he's just delicious. <laughs> For yourself, Anna, is there a, a standout Dracula? Um, that's my ignorance. That. I mean, I could say the Count from Sesame Street, but he's <laughs> his own man, isn't he? Um, Very much so. No, I think it's will truly be my first true Dracula experience mm. with the man himself, so I'm excited. About Adam Sandler in Hotel well, Transylvania. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Is he, is he actually Dracula in that? Or he's playing he? Count Dracula. Oh, yeah. that is the Dracula. I have, yeah. s- I have seen him, to be fair, but I probably am not going to make him my favourite. Okay. <laughs> well, at least sorry, Adam. Nobody said Leslie Nielsen from Dracula Dead and Loving It, so we dodged that particular stake <laughs> to the heart. Uh, with all that being said, shall we watch Dracula? Um, sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But we have to finish before it gets too dark, otherwise I'll get scared. <laughs> yes, well, uh, we, we are doing this live-ish. Uh, it is actually being um, screened outside at sundown, because um, as David Cox pointed out, the DVD would crumble into dust if we tried putting it on any sooner. <laughs> mm. So um, for those of you who are listening at home, uh, pop in those DVDs and prepare to listen to the music of the children of the night as we watch Dracula. Ah, ah. Ah, now I got Angelo Weber stuck in my head, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Ah, ah, ah. I thought we weren't doing the same one. No, we're not. I'll, okay, I'll do it properly. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he managed to mind control you into redoing it. It's incredible. His powers of persuasion. Robert just put up his hand and I couldn't couldn't resist. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Dracula, brackets, 1931, close brackets. And I'm joined once again by our guest, Mr. Robert Woods. Howdy. And Anna Sheehy. Good evening. And we're also joined by a plethora of other guests. And we'll probably be hearing from them later in the show. But first, we've got to jump straight on to Anna. It was your first time watching Dracula 1931. What did you think? I think it's fantastic. It's so much more um, aesthetically pleasing than I imagined it would be. And I don't know why. I think a lot of films of that era that I know have had like pretty basic sets where it was like, here's the ballroom and then back to the bedroom and like very, but these, there were so many different dungeons and (laughs) sort of abbeys and castles. Mm. It it is a very visually pleasing film. And um, for for context, for those of you obviously weren't here, which is everyone listening in, um, we were watching it uh, being projected as the sun went down and in sort of nighttime on a lovely projector screen. And I was having a really lovely time kind of similarly looking at all those set pieces and going I'm, I know that this is mostly either matte painting or cardboard or, or, or set yes. pieces <laughs> but I didn't mind like some I, of the painting I, was yeah. really well done and mm. you know, obviously you know it's painting mm. but it builds this whole sort of very classical feeling um, along with yeah, the rest of it being uh, sort of very European and yeah, just gorgeous I loved it Robert when did you last watch this film? Oh, man, it would have been at least a decade ago. Mm. So a little bit of time. How was it revisiting this time? Um, it, it was much like watching it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it was like oh yeah yep yeah 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 <laughs> it, it was good um i i, I find it I find it nice to look at. I I have also seen this the Spanish version, mm. which I recall being nicer to look at. Okay. Um, but I uh, can't really do a direct comparison because I it's been too long since I've I've seen both of them. Mm. And that that is one of kind of the interesting things about this film is that this film isn't just one film. It's technically two films that were shot at the same time. Yeah, on the same with, sets with Spanish actors or Spanish speaking yeah. actors coming in and. And you know, saying "I caramba" is Dracula, or however, yeah. however they chose to phrase it. I'm sure that's exactly how they chose to phrase it. I'm sure the writers like this is perfect. Yes, yeah. They, they took a loose basis of language from The Simpsons and threw it in. Um, the story is, it's pretty. It's pared back. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty pretty bare. It's a pretty bare story, it is. and I, I think it's it's almost. I was about to say it's almost like a greatest hits, but in some respects, it, it isn't even a greatest hits of Dracula because there are things from the mythos which I think have obviously developed in the 90 years since this film mm. came out that are missing. But there's, a, there's, a, there's some pretty big highlight moments, like um, he turns into a bat, a Many rubbery times. bat, but it's a bat nonetheless. <laughs> um, he turns into a wolf as well, although Apparently you never off, see it. Yeah, off screen. Yeah, and I think we, even if it had been a guy in a wolf costume, like just running around like, like on all fours, <laughs> I think I would have liked to have seen that. Um, yeah, they didn't well, have the budget for that. No, no, <laughs> save that for Wolfman. Yes, um, but you know, there's that. There's the whole he's not in the mirror, he's not in reflections thing. Uh, crucifixes, he's, he's not fond wolf, on that. Wolf Spain, not garlic, but wolf, wolf Spain. Yeah, I, I suppose. Um, yeah, as the I suppose as one of our first time viewers, Anna, um, did, did you feel as though there was anything that was like missing that was sort of like oh oh that's really weird. It's such an interesting thing with, I feel like, vampire movies that because vampires are such a almost universal enemy, like we have so many so much lore from different countries, that you really can pick and choose with what is going to affect them at different times. Like I've watched some stuff, or read stuff more accurately, <laughs> where like silver's a big deal, where that, that's the thing that's really going to kill them, and yet in this one it's a steak. I think, yeah, from a modern perspective, I think garlic is really intertwined with how we think about Dracula now. Mm. It's like, put garlic over the door, and that's the secret thing, mm. as well as um, being welcomed into houses, which wasn't really something. He was let in a lot, and his mind control, I think, was a lot more prominent than it is in some other. Yeah. So he was using mind control really for everything. Yeah, and that, that's something that I, I think in more modern depictions, the mind control has really been dropped in, in a lot of senses. It's not... I, I can't think of... The, the Dracula films from say the last 20 to 30 years where he's doing a lot of holding the hand up and almost doing the, the Jedi mind powers. I it out for, for being really charismatic and sexy. Mm. Like obviously he is. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of it. But like in the modern ones it's like well he's so mm. sexy of course you'd go into a dark corner with him. Like mm. you don't need to actually control them when you're just magnetic in the way they are I think in more modern films uh, we have a hot seat policy for this episode because we have a plethora of other guests so we're going to sub in uh, Katrina Johnston everybody welcome her to the mic hey just wanting to add the mind control element uh, is present in the Buffy episode that Dracula features uh, oh is he yeah. oh yes that's right there we go thank you Katrina out you go <laughs> that's going to happen a few times I imagine so uh, Yes, um, but, but yeah, it's it, it is something that um, that I think has largely been dropped. Like, uh, and I'm slightly ashamed to say, but the only Dracula films that I think I can really confident confidently rely on having watched recently are the Hotel Transylvania films. Yeah. 
Um, but but I, I think that the Dracula from those films is a pretty good representation of where, sort of, particularly in America, but where we sort of globally are at with the Dracula, with the idea of Dracula. And I almost feel as though the idea of Dracula has become removed from the idea of scary vampires. Mm. So, you know, I, I think, um, obviously, in terms of recent vampire-based fiction, the, the Twilight films... And books have had an impact, uh, regardless of whether or not you're you're a fan of the impact that they've had or not. But you also look at things like um, I Am Legend, mm. which which has got you know very much like vampires as being purely monstrous, whereas Dracula just sort of being a guy and pretty much always Bella Lugosi, mm. <laughs> this sort of guy, um, is kind of not necessarily that scary. I guess you know. He, he he doesn't appear yeah. to be that much of a threat in this film. He and Van Helsing in this film, this really old crusty dude, and they kind of just stand around in the house and talk at each other. Mm. And these are the these are the big tense mm. scenes. But it's all very kind of like drawing room banter, yeah. kind of <laughs> standing around talking. Yeah. That these are the, the the tense moments. So compared to yeah other mm. takes on Dracula, it's it's a bit. Slow and I sort of had to stagy. try and pull myself into the perspective of something from 1931 watching without all of these preconceived notions about vampires and Dracula and the storyline, which is fairly basic in this, which I already sort of knew even without having seen it. Mm. Um, and trying to think how I would feel about it if I was coming new into that. Like, I don't actually like, like all the people in the film, I don't know what vampires are capable of or mm. what they're doing. And I did find parts of his performance where he's sort of yeah like just talking to van helsing like you're a very wise man van helsing you know what's going on wink Mm. wink like Mm. good luck (laughs) i'm very powerful to be quite intimidating because Mm. he's so open about it i feel like a lot of other stuff that happens in other films it's like well you know i've got to i've got to kill in the dark and no one will ever know whereas he's just there like yes i'm a vampire (laughs) and i can mind control anyone i want so i'm staying yeah, he doesn't hide it at all. And I think now's probably a good time to jump on to uh, Mr. Bella Lugosi, um, who is, um, you know, synonymous with with the character of Dracula and his performance. And I, I think it has to be said, he's really good. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he, great. He finds his, his light mm. on, on the eyes very, very well. Look, it's very <laughs> important for an actor to find their light. That's yeah. just very important. Uh, oh, hot seat time. Awooga, awooga. Please welcome to the microphone, Mr. David Cox. David, uh, Bella Lugosi is what we're talking about. Yes, I gotta say, he's it's, it's it's my new number one in my top two films that I've seen Bella Lugosi perform a vampire. Oh, what's the other one? Plan Nine from Outer Space. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 other iconic iconic Bella Lugosi film where he walks around kind of obscures his face and then is replaced by uh, a dentist because he was. <laughs> he was the right size for the costume. And also because Bella Lugosi died. Yes, yes, because And then the chiropractor or dentist dies off screen in a car accident, isn't it? Or... His character, his character dies off screen, in the in the most literal sense, in that he walks off screen and then they pause the frame, so his his shadow is still in frame, and then there's like a car crash sound, and then ambulance sound, and it's like. <laughs> It's so sad that he died. And then we're standing around next to some cardboard that represents a cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) 
Excellent. I mean, you are forgetting his his other turn as Dracula in Abbott and Costello Meet the Wolfman, uh, but that's okay because uh, I don't think that's as well as well liked as Plan Nine. Um, but he, but he is really fantastically fun to watch in this film. Uh, what, what was your perspective on it? Oh, it was it was good fun. He was this creepy creepy dude. That Bella Lugosi? Yeah. Creepy dude. Creepy dude. Played yeah. a creepy dude. Excellent. Thank yeah, you very much I only, for your hot seat. I only came on for that Plan 9 from Outer Space joke. Anyway. <laughs> Get out of here, David. <laughs> and Robert Woods is back in the, the hot seat. Yeah. Uh, so, Bella, yeah, I think that character, though, of Bella, uh, of Dracula, of Bella's performance, I think is massively important, though, because, um, because you have to believe the confidence with which this this Dracula is walking around and going, yeah, I'm a vampire. What are you going to do about it is kind of almost how it feels. And like, you know, he's, he's pretty physically imposing compared to most of the other actors in this film. He's mm. he's quite tall. He's got very striking features and bone structure, as Dr. Ellen Sears said. He's got great lipstick. Like he's, mm. But, you know, he's also very confident and his movements with the exception of when he's reacting to something he doesn't like, like a mirror or a crucifix, um, they're very graceful and they're very, you know, quite quite strong. I love when he first invites Renfield to his castle and Renfield's come through all of these, like, really bizarre circumstances and local people telling him, don't go to the castle, there's these awful things that are going to happen. And he rocks up. And, yeah, the confidence that exudes from Dracula, he's like, I know this is all weird. Like, I know that I live in this really spooky castle. But just come up here. Like, if I ignore it, if I act like this is all completely normal everyone else will and that's part of his sway over people is he's just like well Mm. I I just think it's quite good because I think it almost undermines to an extent it almost like gaslights the Hungarian villagers because (laughs) they they look crazy they're all there with like their their boggle eyed and they're all handing crucifixes to Mr. Renfield they're a bit hammy as well yeah (laughs) they're very hammy and he's just like yeah this is weird it's fine though. I'm super cool, and you're like, oh yeah, no, you know, maybe they are all crazy. This guy seems perfectly normal. <laughs> well, compared to all of them uh, and a lot of the other actors in the film, he's just so still. Hmm. He's very still, and he he does just kind of glide into a room and just hmm. stands there, and then it just it'll cut to a close up of his face, and it'll hold on it. And it'll just have that perfect lighting on his eyes and he's mm. just staring at people. And that's all, all it takes for him to kind of be in command of a scene. Mm. I was surprised how little the brides were in this film. Mm. Yeah. They're essentially in a scene. that, And it just felt as though they were going to be a, a bigger part of it. They probably would have made for a cool climax. Uh, it has a pretty, I assumed that late, they had come to England. Yeah, and then I'm just I mean, like, oh, waiting for the brides to they turn do, up. Don't they? Well, yeah. So, <laughs> like, so that's normally the the, the, the play version, um, which which I was in about five years ago, where I got to play um, Seward, who is just the most interesting character. <laughs> and by that I mean he basically just goes, "What's going on?" Um, but but in that version, the brides were present at the end, um, and they were, you know, they fought off Van Helsing and Harker, and mm. and in that case, Seward Seward was there as well. Um, but they yes yeah, that's meant yeah. to be the big climax yeah. but in this film they, they just kind of like I don't know if they ran out of money or mm. time but, but I, they just kind of I think it, I think it's interesting though in terms of that climax of Van Helsing staking Dracula it, this film almost feels like a how-to guide for everything else that follows so it's like this is the way that you're supposed to deal with a vampire you've got to get the stake you've got to find them when they're asleep and you've got to do it like that and I think it's really interesting that this film, this film ju- it does just end. 
Like it, it literally is just yeah. he's staked, <laughs> meaning he's fine, go home. That's that's it. It's a universal picture. It is a universal picture, as they say at the end. It does feel very anticlimactic, but also, yeah, I do I do wonder how much of that is down to Oh, we ran out of money. Quick, wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> or if it was a, a deliberate scripting choice to go, well, you've had your 75 minutes. And also, they literally just kill someone who's asleep. That, that's the big <laughs> revelation in this film. It almost doesn't feel fair what they do yeah. to him. Yeah. He doesn't wake up like he would in other films today. Yeah. He's, 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 it's no, daytime, so he's, he's asleep. So I, he's like, oh, I think it's also interesting we don't actually see the death. We see Van Helsing put the, the stake in position. I think we see him raise the arm and then we cut to Harker who's being useless somewhere else in the tomb and we hear <laughs> Dracula go and then that's it. Mm. Yeah, but that's that's how you keep it open for a sequel, right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Always yeah. got to keep it open for a He's sequel. A bad steak job. <laughs> Look, even in the 30s they were franchising. I suppose they were, yeah, they were that's ready. true. They were well, ready. Uh, that seat's getting hot because we're welcoming in Mr. Murray Jackson. Hello, Stephen. How you doing, Murray? I'm not too bad. I was just going to say, um, you, you were talking, you know, in general about the the, 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 the setting of the, of the film, the, the absence of the brides and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Hammer came along and, you know, 30 years later, mm-hmm. they, they named an entire film The Brides of Dracula. So there we go. They had their moment in the sun. Which they shouldn't do because it's well, bad for them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very poor choice of words. And uh, Hammer also made damn sure that um, you know we we're not going to cut away from the uh, from the staking. We're going to make sure that there's plenty of blood. Mm. And uh, how much cleavage was that? Oh, tons! So so much so much cleavage. So so many fangs as well. And I think Christopher Lee's contact lenses will give Bela Lugosi's eye lights highlights a run for their money. Okay, so you're saying if I want to see more of this sort of bride action mm. that I should be looking for the Brides of Dracula. Oh, absolutely. Get, well, you should be looking for any of the, the, the Hammer um, mm. horror films in terms of the, uh, particularly the Dracula oeuvre okay. with, with Chris Lee and, uh, and Peter Cushing. So, so you've, got, you've got about eight or nine films to choose from. And this is what I want to pick up on. So in terms of the, the, the filmic uh, legacy, the sort of genealogy of Dracula through film, like, obviously, there are Dracula films before this. Famously, uh, Nosferatu is is a vampire story, even if it's not Dracula. Um, but in terms of where Hammer Horrors... The Hammer Horror sort of sits in that, that lineage, because I've not seen any Hammer Horror films. And I'm... You For know, shame. I know, I know. I feel very bad. We've, I can't believe we've done 200 episodes of this and not touched a single Hammer Horror, but we will get there. Um, but if, if you haven't seen Hammer Horror films... Um, I suppose, where does it fit in the scary to campy kind of scale? Um, they're, mm. Watching them today, they're not scary. Mm. They're, they're, they're not. Um, they, they used to be, uh, when I first watched them as a lad, um, you know, 40 years ago. Uh, yeah, they were bloody terrifying. Um, but they're very mild by today's standards because we, we now have um, wall-to-wall gore and and shock don't we um the gore's still impactful though like yes in some some ways they're more sort of gothic horror Mm, and that in its own way has its own sort of romance from a from a viewing perspective but what you get is all of these amazing british thespians Mm. that are just like slumming it for a weekend for a pay job Mm. in the countryside are just just delivering just chewing the walls Mm. uh 
what do you say? Chewing the scenery with mm. their with their performances, just just amazing, classy mm. British. What you think of as like classy? Well, you say acting, classy. I mean, and there's, it's, there's a lot it's of just, nudity as well, Robert. There's certainly a lot of nudity, and there's certainly a lot of schluck. Mm. But I just, I just yeah, I just love those these. Mm. As they as they went sense. on, it was it was more like we. we we have to have more boobs in this. So um, to, towards the end there. Um, well, then, so, what, yeah. what I find interesting about watching this 1931 Dracula is that when I watch it now, when I think of Dracula in pop culture, um, the first thing I think of is like, is the, the Nosferatu, the shadow of the mm. hand grasping the sleeping girl mm. and pulling her up out of the bed. And then I think of... The, the hammer horror like brides and the, the the blood and the gore and I I don't actually think of anything f- from this film as uh, as classic iconic Dracula in mm. my mind it's 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 all from other things which is why watching yeah it's I mean this this is probably the big Dracula film, the, the mm. first big Dracula film. Mm. Um, I think where, where Hammer came in, Hammer sort of kind of rescued the, 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 it, the, it the vampire in, yeah. film from what Universal had you know, bastardised it to because you, know, you end up with, as you said earlier, Abbott and Costello. Mm. Um, Dracula had become a, a thing of mirth mm. instead of a thing of fear. So Excellent. That's, that's probably it. Uh, that seat's getting hot again. Uh, that's because we've got, jumping in, we've got Kate Willoughby. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, I, I cheered for all of you. So, <laughs> um, no, so I was just going to jump in about like uh, the quintessential Sorry. image. Mike Hello. Mike of like, oh, I don't know how much for me I see is like Dracula. Like for me, um, every, there were so many shots in here that I went, Oh, okay. This is where the imagery of Dracula and Hollywood comes from. Like, mm. like the um, the hand coming out of the coffin, mm. like that monster hand coming out, is like such a monster image. And mm. like the waiting by the windows and like the silhouettes, um, you know, were the, yeah. I think there was so much of like even when you said um, Hotel Transylvania. Yeah. Like Dracula's costume in Hotel Transylvania is the costume pretty much from Dracula. So like a lot of the imagery and like the old um, stuff was, um, yeah, Mm. I think I see in this movie and how Dracula is performed, even with his like sort of sexiness, like Mm. when he was Mm. like, oh, tell me about your dream, Lady Mm. Mina, later. (laughs) And I was like, what? And while we're on the subject of sexiness, uh, Mm. because it was one of my notes, um, the, the sex appeal of Dracula... Has, yes. has often been cited in many, many films. And often, and even, you know, stage productions and stuff, you generally cast a reasonably good-looking bloke to play to play the Count. Yes. Um, but I thought what was really interesting about this film is that that... Um, it wasn't so much about sex appeal, it was about sort of power over other people. Some of it was tied into... To, sort of like a, a sort of sexual power. And we saw that particularly with Mina's attraction to him after he had bitten her, uh, or their first interaction. Um, yes. But I also think it's really interesting that 
his power over um, the younger male characters was yes. really interesting as well. Yeah, the older men weren't that interested, but yeah. like every young man, like I was like, they wanna, they wanna. <laughs> that's why van helsing wasn't turned because he was super straight all yeah. the other young men like, yeah. like oh jesus yeah like van helsing very straight laced yeah. seward's like got a daughter and just is generally yeah. quite useless anyway. it, really. that's why he wants to marry mina straight away he's like i'm having so many thoughts we just gotta we gotta marry yeah. right now but yeah but i think it's really interesting obviously in that opening scene with renfield there's... yeah that was super sexual not yeah. super but i don't know i felt well, it i also think it was interesting because it just felt it felt surprising for a film from that time, but then I thought more and went, actually, no. There, there was a lot of... Yeah. I suppose it's because it's before that... That's, that the Hayes Code was 1934. So it's three years before that. And yeah. I, was, I was reading it going, is it, am I, I was looking at Dracula and going, am I getting a bit of a gay vibe here? Like, it was, it was a little <laughs> bit like that at first. Yeah. Dracula's he, yeah. he, eats, he, lived he, for that he eats anyone. Um, his blood's blood for him. Well, that's just it. And I think that was what was really interesting about this particular thing is so often the image of Dracula stalking young women is so prevalent in a lot of the film adaptations that have come since. And even in this one, we see him stalking more women than men. But I think the fact that the first victim is Renfield and the fact that he even scares off the brides because I thought it was going to be the brides feast on him and he stands over them and goes oh, uh, uh. no yeah it was very much like oh, let me take your coat let me mm. look after you this is your bed that you'll be in this mm. is your room and then he comes in through out from the outside back in again and will be the one to like sort of turn him mm. um yeah but I well I, yeah I think Dracula that's why he, vampires are so sexual because it is about I would have turned into it because it has that sort of trancing and, and changing you and I mm. do like that this version sometimes the debate about how sexy Dracula is is like I guess is he for the gays the female gays or the male gays mm. so is he a power fantasy of control or is he something that what women you know women I guess quote-unquote would find more appealing so mm. the fact that like he is charming mm. and he seems to listen like Mina's fiance is like don't think about that don't do that don't yeah. do this well Stop he's reading like the newspaper darling why, why are you reading the news oh don't, don't think you're a pretty little head about a thing um well dracula's like tell me your dreams mm. and your i'm thoughts. gonna tell you some spooky stories Ooh. from transylvania which mm. which means that he would have been talking to her like actually mm. having a conversation with her about his foreign mm. life while uh, or like a traditionally like i guess men and women were in such separate spaces yeah. so whereas hark is just there in his stupid pants just sort of like <laughs> telling her how to live telling her how to live so yeah. i think that i guess that gaze of what do you find appealing is that is i guess what kind of image you want but i, I think he is sexual even if he isn't domineering but yes yeah. anyway i'm out yes and uh boop, keep boop, that boop. seat super hot uh, because we are welcoming in uh dr ellen sears yay my turn hello <laughs> um speaking of of harker versus dracula <laughs> the thing that i was struck by watching this film was how much of a himbo <laughs> Mm. John Harkris. He's, he's just mm. he's not very bright yeah. he's, he's just kind of like I'm pretty and I'm standing here mm. and I have on silly pants and I was just like oh bless you sweetie mm. so like I can yeah like fr from that perspective I, I'm kind of like I can understand why Mina was a bit like oh this like foreign man who's mm. like very intense and staring and ooh like yeah. she does make sense. fun of him at first though when she she's does. with Lucy Lucy's the one who's really interested and he's like oh he's yeah. kind of mysterious she's and she's there like oh I'm making fun of his accent he's too weird for me mm. so really his I influence I just want a normal man and then she I just want my normal himbo my man normal, <laughs> my normal little hunter boy mm. <laughs> and his golf pants yeah. and I think it is really interesting and quite a good idea to, to contradict uh, sorry to contrast 
Oh, yeah, for um, sure. Harker as just being like a useless fop as compared to Dracula, who is yeah. who is also a a fop by definition. Like, he's, he's, he's upper class, he's, he's all yeah. that. But he's capable, he's got life experience, he's got multiple lives experience, it turns out. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it's really interesting that Harker, in, I think Harker in this is played up to be really quite useless, to yeah, the point where sure. he can't find a stone in a tomb. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he comes back with a chunk of metal, like, will this do? He asked for. Will this do? Yeah. No, no, you're an idiot. Excellent. Uh, Robert Woods is coming back to the scene. Yeah. I'm out. Uh, Robert, you. What did you want to say? I was just thinking, like, that's such a product of this particular adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like, they they've stripped everything away and they've made. <laughs> Every single character such a stock mm. character. It's it's so easy yeah. to read everything, whereas all the other adaptations that have a little bit more nuance than yeah. So than that. you haven't even touched on Martin the Orderly yet. Oh, we're getting to him. <laughs> Trust me, he's on my list. Um, I did I did want to touch on Van Helsing before we got there though. Mm. Um, I really like this portrayal of Van Helsing, um, who even though he's quite elderly and almost creepier looking than Dracula in a lot of his scenes. Like he's leaning in he's and got he's got some thick glasses. He's got the thick mm. glasses. He's got really kind of like a beaky face and he's he's got a very, very inconsistent accent. He has but some weird unconsensual touching as I well fairly early on. Yeah, he's, he's very unusual, but the performance is, is sensational. Mm. And I think it's really important that you do have a really strong Van Helsing to counterbalance a, a strong Dracula. But I'm really surprised that we don't, I suppose it's all... I mean, the film's called Dracula. Maybe it's not surprising we don't talk about Van Helsing from this film that much. But he's he's really good. Like, he's he's just really, he, like, a good, strong presence. Um, he he has a lot of exposition to deliver. Yeah. Like, and he, he's the one that has to explain mm. everything. Mm. And he manages to do it in a... In a swift and informative and interesting way yeah. <laughs> that doesn't get too boring. Yeah, and Edward Van Sloan is the actor that, that plays um, Van Helsing in this one. But I think it's interesting how Lugosi's Dracula has become super mimicked, but Van Helsing's, the Van Sloan's Van Helsing has not. Mm. Mm. My preconceptions of Van Helsing are all entirely sort of very much an equal in charisma and like sort of look to like Dracula. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like you're looking at sort of someone who's like, these two handsome men are fighting each other. <laughs> they both have knowledge and power and they're sort of very equally battling. Whereas in this one, you have more of a sort of professor scientific vibe coming mm. from Van Helsing mm. where he's got all this wisdom and knowledge that he can give to other people and is just directing the household to try and protect themselves from this vampire. But he also looks like he could beat the shit out of you. Like there's something <laughs> about him that is, even though he's, he's quite old, he's... He does. I think it's because he's next to Seward, and Seward is just like a leaky tap of a human yeah. being. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, well, what's going on? Renfield, you can run wherever you like. Like that kind of thing. I um, think we need to talk about Renfield, because Renfield is my favourite thing about this film. Absolutely. Well, then, let's talk about him. What do you love so much about Renfield, Rob? Um, okay, so he, he basically opens the film, mm-hmm. um, and he he is the audience's in to... To Castle Dracula and and the Hungarians and and everything that's going on, and then <laughs> in in this film, as as with so many scenes, uh, it just like skips ahead a lot. <laughs> mm. um, but his transformation into Dracula's uh, sort of Igor character, his his mm. buddy sidekick that does his bidding, mm. uh, happens 
off screen and suddenly he comes back and you're like is that the same Even actor kate said yeah <laughs> we were watching we we're like oh who's this new guy and then he turns around and we're like oh my god that's it's him the same like, guy. he so looks so different he's, yeah. he's wonderfully like he's he's very normal and very like 1930s charismatic kind mm. of just you're every man yeah trying to be helpful <laughs> um um and then he gets to be like the really really big complete nutter mm. eating flies and spiders and yeah and doing bidding and he was the most intimidating spouting. character for me like the well, scene where he crawls over to the nurse after she's fainted he, mm. he doesn't he doesn't have the benefit <laughs> of spooky. the um the the spot eye lights but he still manages to make his eyes super creepy yeah <laughs> that shot where he's found on the boat and he's holding onto the rails looking and they up. just hold on it for yeah. ages and ages and it's... he's just staring straight down the lens mm. and you just go yeah. it's interesting because the, the people who find him go oh my god this man's gone mad mm. and looking at them you go yeah you're right you can make a, yeah. sort of a judgement based on him literally staring at you whereas I feel like in a more modern film you'd sort of have him on the floor like cradling, cradling his knees rocking back mm. and forth mm. and he doesn't have that he's just got this intensity about him yeah. that he, he was just he was terrifying. loving it. I also love, you know, he's like whispering to the coffin and then going, I know you can't hear me, but we're here, master. That was so cute. Yeah. He was like, just letting you, a little update that I know you can't mm. hear. And he, From he your also, boy, Renfield. I think he also has like, uh, well, in this film, he's got the most interesting inner conflict going on because yeah. he's, he's like doing Dracula's bidding, but also completely feeling guilty about having to murder like yeah Mm. being um complicit in in the murder of other humans Mm. like it like it's not really explained what he is is he is he actually a vampire or is he like just a part part vampire he's looking for blood but not human blood yeah Mm. it's 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 a weird thing but he pulls it off Oh, with a plum. It's very fun. He is, yeah. To watch. Dwight Dwight Fry, the actor, who um, sadly didn't get a lot of work after this because he kept going. He got a lot of work, but it was all Renfield type characters because everyone went, do do the the crazy eyes. (laughs) Speaking of actors that will be forever typecast, let's talk about Martin, the best (laughs) thing in this film. Um, The only one who's sane up here. Yeah. So he's the orderly at um, at, at Sewell's uh, sanatorium. And I remember from the play version that we did uh, about five years ago, he was pretty much my favourite character. And uh, Alex McVeigh, who is a uh, sometimes guest on this programme, played him and played him absolutely beautifully. But the way he's portrayed in this film is absolutely wonderful. Just this cockney useless attendant um, played by Charles Gerard um, who just does his best Dick Van Dyke it's it's <laughs> it is remarkable it's, I'll tell you what it is it's beautiful it's absolutely <laughs> beautiful um, I've, I've found most of these old universal monster pictures have some kind of comic relief side mm. character mm-hmm. um like this and this is definitely one of the more ridiculous ones <laughs> he's uh, just so completely unfazed every single time Renfield gets out which yeah. I think is about 10 to 30 <laughs> times in this film that he yeah. sort of rocks up in the house like oh yeah. I just heard what you said and now I've come mm. to say something creepy and, yeah. and every time he's just like oh the master's pet loony boys out again <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when he's like he's taking him out of the room but <laughs> but he stops and turns Renfield around just so he can have like the one last word before he leaves one last warning to Van Helsing he's like alright good now back yeah. you go <laughs> I was like favourite line but um, 
Renfield has just displayed an abnormal amount of strength, escaping apparently by twisting iron bars like cheese. Yeah. Which is a direct quote. I have no idea what that means. It means you know when you twist cheese. You know when you're twisting the cheese and it breaks and you get out of the jail cell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You get your cheese and tubes, right? (laughs) You get your cheese and you twist it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've heard of a cheese twisty. <laughs> of course, they, they, they should be. Yeah, they came from this film. <laughs> uh, but no, Martin's wonderful. Um, uh, Briggs is pretty good too. Mm. Um, who's who's I, I think gets overshadowed by by the just the incredible, well, just Martin, just Martin being yeah. so big and so silly. But I think they've got like that nice little bit in the garden. It's like we're the only same ones here. <laughs> and I've got my doubts about you sometimes. Walks backwards until it fades to black. And that <laughs> classic. Everyone in the big house is mad, and it's only yeah. the, the downstairs crew who I mean, up. We've said a couple of times while we're watching this, but I would actually really like to see an adaptation that follows the people that work at Sewell's at Seward's, um, sanatorium. And where all the Renfield Dracula stuff is just sort of like happening a little bit in the background. You could just um, make it like a series, like every episode is a different Penny Dreadful Asylum yeah. scene, <laughs> a different <laughs> character each week. Uh, Kate wants oh. to jump back in? Yes. Come close, come close. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Kate Willoughby, back on the mic. Okay, here's the thing that I thought was a, a wasted opportunity if they were going to do it, is that it makes sense to be on a sanitarium, right, and having Renfield in there is because I assumed, and maybe it was meant to be inferred, that if he's drinking blood from crazy people, no one's going to believe insane people saying, a bat came into my room and, 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 and took my blood. And everyone's like, oh, you crazy loony. And Renfield's like, at night, is so strong. He can let Dracula in the building. And I assumed, well, that's what they're going to do. That's why he bought... And then it's never brought up. And, like, Renfield's like, I can't have all these deaths on my hands. I'm like, w- the the deaths of the ships, so that's the only death? Or all the people in the sanatorium? And I feel like that could be really interesting if you had that TV show of the people that worked there of, like... All these crazy shenanigans happening at the sanatorium. Call Ryan Murphy. I, yeah, I just think it would be. I just think it would be a very cool show because you could make it a comedy easily. I, I mean, but still make it a bit darker of like them going. I think, and then not giving a crap because it's it's a sanatorium. No one cares about the mentally ill today. Mm-hmm. Never, you know, then. never get like back then as well. So like, and then that way, and they only started caring when Mina like starts and they're like, oh, well, now that the lady in the house is going crazy, I guess we've got to look at this Dracula dude, even though 20 people have died this year, but let's not think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the help, that would be a great show and get the two actors, like s- characters from this specific film and have them like, <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a great show. It should be made. All right, Absolutely. Kate out. Yeah, thank you. I do have quite um, a genuine query because I've been thinking about it for the last few minutes and I can't, figure out what happened but our first victim lucy Mm. who sort of into dracula initially and dracula goes and uh, straight up kills her and we see her in an operating studio where they've tried to studio um operating theater Mm. um where they've tried to give her blood transfusion and it's failed and she's died Mm. and then later on sort of out of nowhere we find out she's risen from the dead Mm. he had turned her into a vampire and she's been eating babies she's murdering children and things and then we hear from van helsing and he goes don't worry lucy's pain will be over this evening Mm. and then nothing happens we don't see that happen i guess we just assume uh, van helsing has done that dracula is like one of those classic load-bearing villains where you know you just if you you kill him everyone else kill them everyone else just (laughs) it's just everything goes back to normal yeah 
<laughs> yeah, really handy. that's that is essentially how it, how it works. So, so he's I, just saying by this evening we'll kill Dracula. Yeah, and Dracula being dead will mean that Lucy his, will all these be dependents. So all the wives in Europe died, I guess as I mean, well. Yeah. I, yeah, but we didn't get to see them flailing that's about. Sad. That would have been fun. Yeah, I would have preferred that we don't address it, and then there's a sequel that's just Lucy, Lucy, <laughs> Lucy of London. <laughs> yeah, the little girl killer. In fact, we should. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's a good. Yeah. She just seems so horrifying compared to like the other things that Ren- Renfield's eating bugs. I don't care about that that much. There's let a lot of things spider. that seem like, more Renfield horrifying than what they show hmm. or choose to to to. to well, yeah, um, they, they, she's biting little girls on the neck. Like they read it in the hmm. the lunchroom, and you're like, that sounds really awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrible. That is. She's a wrong and yeah. she's a loony. <laughs> but I suppose it's also a question of what they could show what they wanted to show like what what yeah. audience what they like. could be bothered showing. yeah because yeah i mean it it, it does to do with kids it does feel yeah. as though this this film does well because of what it inspires instead of what it shows it definitely leaves a lot to the imagination mm. and i think i mean th- there are some great sort of imaginative what-ifs and you know in, in 1931 you're being presented with Dracula as a sen- he's sort of almost like the Terminator of his day mm. like he can't be killed by conventional methods and he, he's not he's, you know he's not bursting down the door and you've not got dun 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 dun, dun <laughs> in fact you haven't got any music whatsoever unless it's diegetic yeah. um, which was just at the start there was literally no other music mm. Yeah, the, the, the entire film. The end, music at the end was was only when it was happening, like when they were at the opera yeah. or the ballet. Sorry, um, th- that's literally all the music that was used. And that, although arguably that's partly because at that time there was still conjecture about how music should be used. You know, with with talking mm. and sound, because this is thirty one, so it's four years after the jazz singer. Like it's it's pretty. It's still early, early days. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Most of the other Universal movies have mm. much more of a score. And I did. Uh, yeah, I didn't mind the absence of a score. I'll be honest. It's it it is it it definitely adds to Dracula's stillness. Mm. I think it it aids Bela Lugosi's mm. performance. Mm. Um, but yeah, it yeah, there's a, a, quite a few things in this film, especially some of Dud Browning's direction mm. that I was like, mm, yeah, this is this is uh, even for like an early film, this this isn't the most electric sort of yeah it's yeah. it's very workmanship there's some yeah. very awkward edits and shots in this <laughs> yeah we we are looking at doing the 1931 frankenstein later in the year as well probably oh, towards right. the end of the year um i know that you've seen both yeah um wh- which one for you kind of stands so, the test of time so better? so this is this is interesting because out of the two frankensteins pretty much 90% of the iconography of frankenstein is from bride of frankenstein right all the famous mm. quotes and the famous shots that I'm aware of and, and just the filmmaking in general, everything about The Bride of Frankenstein is leagues above Frankenstein. Although the story of Frankenstein, the actual beautiful, tragic monster story, mm. is much stronger in the original. Okay. But, I, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty incredible sequel. Mm. But in terms in, of filmmaking. But in terms of that original fr- being from the same year. 31. Oh, right. I, I think Frankenstein is leagues ahead of Dracula. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually a big fan of this film. Okay. <laughs> in terms of a, a, out of the, the classic universal monsters. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably my, my, my second or third least favourite. Okay. Cool. Well, in that case, we've got a lot of monster films to get on. And to yeah. Really enjoy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Would you guys, and there's a lot more of you in this room than normal, but would you guys like some trivia about Dracula? Yay! Yay! <coughs> oh, no. uh, I'm sorry, but uh, we, 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 we've counted the votes, and they've come through like this, and no, we're not recounting. Uh, and also, if you're listening to this when this is released, we're, we're recording this in, in early January. So um, we don't know what has happened uh, in, in any country you might be living in with a presidential election. Uh, so we can only assume it all went tickety-boo. Uh, we are looking at trivia from IMDb. Uh, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Bella Lugosi was so eager to repeat his stage success, because he obviously played Dracula on stage for a number of years beforehand, um, and wanted to play Dracula in the film version so badly, uh, that he agreed to a contract paying him $500 per week for a seven-week shooting schedule, which was a paltry sum even in the days of the Depression. In fact, his salary was only one quarter of the, uh, that of David Manners, who plays Jonathan Harker. Mm. Yeah, so the, obviously he wasn't paid a lot, yeah. um, but I think he made the smart choice because he is sort of immortalised, you know, um, as Dracula for mm. Hollywood. So, you know, I think mm. it's one of those, I guess, big debates about, you know, as an actor, mm. he will always be remembered as this image of Dracula. Yeah. Like, and that's probably holds a bit more weight than what the guy that played Jack, he could bear, he kept his fists closed the entire time. <laughs> he couldn't really act. He got more money. Okay, mm. so maybe he could have had a better dinner and paid better rent and maybe, I don't know. But he'll always be remembered as one of the universal monsters. And I think that's I very cool. Understand. Anyway, you know, that's a romantic idea. As, <laughs> as many actors go, it's okay, don't pay me. I'll be remembered forever. Yeah. Okay, well, bye. In this, case, in this case, it did work. It Ellen, did work you out. have something you want to pop in with. I just wanted to say, it's like that old debate of like, but the exposure, mm. Bella. <laughs> Yeah. The exposure as an actor that you'll get will just be incredible. Mm. We're well, still having that debate now. Well, well I, I think Lugosi was very aware of that. And also the fact is, is this is a part that he, like, deeply cared about. Um, it also broke him into Hollywood. Yeah. So I guess coming from a stage perspective, like, it seems very unfair mm. because if he was so popular in this role already, mm. but moving from stage to film, I think, was even harder then than it probably is now. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, it's, I guess it's not an unsurprising choice he made, even though it seems so unfair <laughs> that Harker would get mm. paid more than him. It should be pointed out that David Manners, uh, even though he was paid uh, four times as much on paper, he probably didn't receive that because he was on loan um, from another studio, so they would have gotten quite a lot of that. But mm. he, yeah, he still was paid, on paper at least, uh, four times what Lugosi was. The original release of this film featured an epilogue with Edward Van Sloan, or Van Helsing, uh, as we know him, talking to the audience about what they have just seen. It was removed for the 1936 re-release and is now assumed to be lost. Yeah. Uh, the later Frankenstein of the same year similarly copied this model by featuring a prologue. But yeah, I, I could have done with that. I could have done with Van Helsing going, so this is what happened. We didn't cover it very well in the film. But this, mm. Lucy was eating children, but then... She she she's dead. She's dead when it happens. I would have find the children are fine. Yeah, but the the the, the original book is is written like documents, mm. like yeah. like it's a bunch of letters and documents and newspaper articles. So yes, uh, here comes David Cox. Um, uh, it, does it not tell you what actually says in the prologue in IMDb? Because it says on Wikipedia. You may tell us. <laughs> he um he says um to the audience just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Oh, I got popcorn in my... And then he dies. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> Shocking. 
Shocking um, epilogue. Sequel. I have popcorn in my throat. He says, um, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, a word before you go. We hope the memories of Dracula and Renfield won't give you bad dreams. So just a word of reassurance. When you go and when you get home tonight and the lights have been turned out and you are afraid to look behind the curtains and you dread to see a face appear at the window, why, just pull yourself together and remember, after all, there are such things as vampires. A little bit of twist at the end. <laughs> and everyone's like, ooh, that's too spooky. It, it encourages people to believe in the supernatural and uh, it's past, like, haze code time. So, like, none of that. None, none of that. that. Get it out of there. When Bela Lugosi passed away in 1956, he was buried wearing one of his black silk capes, but not the one that he wore for this film, which is what the urban legend is. Uh, That particular cape was put on auction by his son, Bela Lugosi Jr., uh, in 2011. The starting bid was set at $1.2 million. It failed to sell. Later, in November 2019, the family donated it to the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, where it has been restored and put on display. Um... So, yes, the family themselves have also confirmed that uh, Lugosi was indeed buried in a silk cape, but not the one from this film, which people believed it was. Is that in hopes that he would rise again? I think it was more just like a nice touch. (laughs) Oh, here comes Katrina. Um, That's probably because by all accounts, at least accounts that I've read, um, Lugosi became kind of obsessed with his own mythology and like sort of tricking people into thinking oh maybe he actually is Dracula like you see some of his the advertising from the time and there's all this suggestion that maybe Dracula's based on him Mm. like just this sort of like wink and nod of oh he, he actually comes from Hungary and oh maybe his family are well-to-do and fallen on hard times and things like that. Yeah, he really plays into that. And I think he sort of, um, he ate his, what is, what's the phrase? He drank his own Kool-Aid. Right. Yeah. There we go. Well, um, Katrina out. uh, Katrina out. There we go. Um, I would also like to add, I don't believe that this is true, but I just love this because it's such a wonderful joke um, about Bella Lugosi's funeral. Um, according to Vincent Price, when he and Peter Law went to view Lugosi's body during the funeral, upon seeing him in the cape, uh, Peter Law supposedly said, do you think we should drive a stake through his heart just in case? <laughs> <laughs> do you think we should drive a stake through his heart? <laughs> Thank you, Murray. I wanted to do the impression, but I sort of thought you might instead. So there we go. I, I believe that one is completely a fabrication, but it's a wonderful joke. Um, I'm sure people said it in the car after the yeah. funeral. You know, it was like, should we double check? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, among the living creatures we see at Dracula's castle in Transylvania are opossums, armadillos, and an insect known as a Jerusalem cricket. Uh, all, all scientifically, it's known as. Stenopalamatus fuscus. It looks quite a lot like a sand groper. Mm. Mm. This insect is common in Southern California, which may explain why it's in this film, as that was also shot in Southern California. (laughs) The inclusion of armadillos was due to the fact that armadillos had occasionally been seen digging in graveyards, which had led to the mistaken belief that they would dig their way into coffins and eat the cadavers. 
So at the time, yeah, armadillos were associated with uh, sort of unnatural corpse eating, and they included them in the film to go, look, Dracula's evil, see? He's got a bat, a wolf, and an armadillo. (laughs) There's a really nice spider as well in there, but it's not a real spider. No, you can tell by the fact its legs do not move. (laughs) I believe armadillos are the only other creature on Earth that can get leprosy. So if I saw a, a leprosy-ridden armadillo digging in a graveyard, I would probably... How is that not a horror a film yet? Pretty bad impression of those creatures. Is it pangolins or is it armadillos? Oh, okay. Oh, well. That's okay. No, no one here is a biologist. Um, also, that bug did come out of its own tiny coffin, I'd like to point out. It did. It's a very it's good... It's not just like... It wasn't just there. <laughs> it was in its own tiny coffin and it yeah. came out. That is so cute. And I don't know why I put it in the book. They weren't going to explain the Dracula bug. Mm. <laughs> If I test, if I suck the blood of this tiny insect and I put it in the coffin. It's a snack. It's a midnight snack. Maybe he was just, maybe Dracula was riding a bike through Transylvania and he did that thing where you swallow a fly and he just... What a neat experiment. Yeah, he's, oh no, I've turned you into one of the children of the night. Can I have a coffin? Yes, okay. I guess I have to now. Thanks, Dad. So many dependents. Oh my God. <laughs> This is why you never see him having escargot, like because you have all these little vampire snails running around. It's just, it doesn't work. What if he did that accidentally with a mosquito, and then the mosquito's just natural in- impulses just go around like. I hope he cancels it out. That'd be nice. And it's just like, ah, oh, f- my 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 mosquito son is. <laughs> Transforming the entire village mm. just by accident. Now, now I'm in charge of them all. Oh no, so much admin. I want to see a mosquito do the um do the eye thing and like lure pretty women by like mind controlling them. Just just, <laughs> just and they yeah, can't like, help themselves. What? Yes, Sorry, master. Isn't that the plot of the B movie? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Katrina, you have something you want to add. Oh, just something very minor just david you've hit upon my worst nightmare because oh my scott would be so freaking terrified and i'd never get any sleep because he he already hates mosquitoes but mosquitoes that have like vampire abilities oh my Mm. god (laughs) wonderful During an interview with film historian David Scarl, the actor David Manners, who played Harker, recounted how the production was disorganised and that director Todd Browning showed little interest in directing the film. It shows. on the. (laughs) To me, it shows. None of the cast members took it too seriously, with the exception of Bella Lugosi. Manners witnessed Lugosi strolling up and down the set with his cloak wrapped around him and saying, I am Dracula. This was Bella's own method of psyching himself up and building his concentration to stay in character. Lugosi was a staunch professional who cared deeply about his acting. Years after his death, uh, Lugosi was accused by biographers, uh, various biographers in fact, of confusing real life with his role, which is what Mm. Katrina was saying before. Uh, but according to his son, Bella Lugosi Jr., uh, he said, no, nah, that was pretty normal. He just, when he was in a role, he tried his best to like get into that role by believing that he was that person. The original Broadway production of Dracula starred Bella Lugosi and started in 1927, running for 261 performances. Also in the original cast, Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing and Herbert Bunston as Dr. Seward. They reprised their roles in the film. And I know we've given Herbert Bunston some crap, but he is actually quite good at playing this this wet tap of a person. <laughs> He's very it. handsome. Wood bang. Herbert Bunston? Yeah. yeah. Really? I need to look at another photo of him. Take... Herbert Seward? Seward. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the... the... 
Oh, I'm thinking of Parker. Yeah. 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 Sorry. No, he's just Parker. there to be pretty. We're talking Wood, about the Parker. dad. I just, I just love that silver fox look. Mmm, <laughs> 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 granddaddy. <laughs> still, still my bang. Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. This man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Look, I'm not picky. <laughs> Universal's original plan was to make Dracula a big budget adaptation of the original novel by Bram Stoker. However, the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression meant Universal chose not to risk an investment in such a sprawling film. Instead, they chose to adapt the much less expensive Hamilton Dean play, because it all takes place in lounge rooms, going, <laughs> well, what do we do next? Well, it's going to happen off stage, but this is how we deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's probably actually a wise choice as well to really boil it down to just, here's Dracula, here's how you deal with it. Uh, maybe. I mean, if you're into that. But if they had done a big production like they did with Frankenstein, it would have been freaking awesome. That's true. But but if Todd Browning also wasn't interested in this. Todd Browning is just not a great director. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Todd. Uh, Sorry, Todd. His estate. (laughs) Before he was cast as Dracula, Lugosi also acted as an unpaid intermediary for Universal Pictures and the widow of Bram Stoker when they were trying to get the rights for the original novel. After two months of negotiations, Mrs. Stoker reportedly lowered her price from $200,000 to $60,000. And this is partly why people went, man, Lugosi is actually like doing admin to try and get this film made. We have to give him the role. <laughs> that sounds like some serious manipulation, though. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, he, maybe he just looked at her, just lifted his hand. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah, yes. and <laughs> just went, lower the price, Mrs. <laughs> After viewing the initial cut, Universal President Carl Lamell reportedly said that the film gave him, quote, the heebie jeebies, end quote, and ordered that it be re edited, un- misunderstanding the point of horror. Sorry, I, I added that bit. Uh, <laughs> Todd Browning was bitterly disappointed by the studio's 11th hour re-edit and claimed that his best work ended up on the cutting room floor. The recut apparently introduced a number of continuity errors in the film, such as the disappearing book, um, and fans have re-edited the film to match the continuity of the shooting script. Well, look, maybe maybe all, all my talk of Todd Browning being a terrible director should it could be, be chalked up to studio interference, as mm. so many terrible films How are. embarrassing is that, though, to get a final cut of a horror film and go, oh, it's so spooky. It's too <laughs> spooky. Guys, like, this it. isn't going to sell. Oh, my God. Although, I mean, that said, horror films, I mean, they existed. Obviously, we covered The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari already, but the, but the mm. genre of horror was burgeoning and it's probably not surprising that an executive may have gone what we don't want to scare them people like to be happy people want to be happy when they see films and they walk up the staircase at the end and then it's fine and no weird doctor talks to us (laughs) cut it all out um indeed uh when this film was re-released after the production code was strictly enforced after 1934 many edits and deletions were ordered by the censors they removed renfield's scream as he is being killed and dracula's moment when the stake is driven through his heart those two audio deletions were later restored though which is why we heard them in our version but yeah there would have been versions where you didn't even hear dracula go how would you know he was dead it happens all off screen yeah van helsing basically just walks in yeah van helsing tells us i did kill him i'm a good vampire hunter and Mm. (laughs) let's finish the film the final bit of trivia the studio did not want the scene where Dracula attacks Renfield to be filmed due to the perceived gay subtext of the situation. A, me- a memo was sent to the director stating, quote, Dracula is only to attack women, end quote. 
See, that's good in natural conduct. Yeah. Unlike anything else, obviously. Fellas, is it gay to kill a man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, look, it's... Yeah, you know, those sorts of things are unsurprising, but still disappointing. I think that's really interesting about this film to, to sort of close on, is that we don't see Dracula actually by anyone. It always cuts away or fades to black, or like, you know, they have a few different angles, like the one that you really didn't like, Anna, where his face was right in the camera. Oh, no. Yeah, it was, it was not... a sort of pursed lip moment, like, oh, yeah, but was... you can't see my fangs, because you never see his fangs. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't have them. In, in this iteration. And I think that's really interesting that the bite marks are only discussed. Um, they're not actually shown in, in any case. There's a shot where you should very clearly see them if they were there once they take the scarf off Mina's neck. Yeah. And they are not there. No, which is kind of uh, interesting. Thanks to the power of Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, two bite marks. We've described them, but you don't need to see them. Just trust us that they're there. He turned into a wolf and ran off. Like, this film is full of those moments. <laughs> uh, Katrina, it's something you wanted to uh, add. Another bit of trivia, not relating to the movie, but relating to vampire lore. Mm -hmm. So, originally, vampires did not drink blood. Okay. We actually think uh, a lot of cases of when they had vampire panics, like, for example, in the 18th century, in uh, 18th century, Mm. I think, uh, pre-colonial, like, America, Mm -hmm. um, or colonial America, I should say, um, they attribute it to kind of un knowing tuberculosis um, pandemics or epidemics uh, and vampires were would would waste you away right and the life force yeah mm. yeah which is why you get iron stakes and there was encouraging of burning of bodies and things like that okay. which unknowingly was a good um, hygienic way of disposing of tuberculosis bodies which are contagious after death right so, yeah that's really interesting and absolutely feeds into it. That's, that's fascinating. Thank you, uh, Katrina Van Helsing. That's really, <laughs> really lovely. Uh, so all that remains is for us to score the film. All of us uh, are going to score the film. Uh, so take, Line up, everybody. Take a moment to think about it, but we are going to start with Anna because you were our first guest who had not seen the film. Mm-hmm. What are you giving Dracula out of 10? Um... Genuinely, at the end of this film, I had that feeling yet when you're like, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. And especially the visuals of it, I found really impactful. Like I think I said to Kate, I would have a bunch of these stills as like um, prints on my wall. So I think from a visual perspective and the fact that I know I'm going to keep thinking about it, I'll probably give it like an 8 out of 10. Big fan. All right. What about you, Rob? I would give it five awkward jump cuts out of 10. (laughs) Excellent. Just Todd Browning really, really pulling it down there. Definitely. All right. Uh, Murray, your turn. What are you giving it out of 10? Yes, I will give it five creepy Renfield voices. I was going to say Peter Law was not in this film, but thank you. Uh, David? I would, I would score it a good seven instruments not touched. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Katrina? I would give it um, seven creepily glowing eyes out of 10. That's either one too many or one too few. Uh, Kate, what are you giving it? Um, I agree. There were some really weird jumpy cuts and there were some things that made you go that I think you're more lenient on because you're like, oh, it's the 30s. They don't know what they're doing. Mm. Um, but at the same time, when that movie finished, I actually was like, you know what? I've never watched the Monster Universal sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I always assumed they were going to be super campy and like really bad. Um, and may, watching this made me go, oh, I actually really want to watch this movie um, and those series. So um, I think 
Yeah, so I think for what it's left and some of the beautiful imagery that it does have, because everybody else except the director seems to have worked really hard. <laughs> All the crew, the, like everyone, they worked really hard. Mm. Um, I, I would give it like a, a 7 out of 10 for that aspect, not necessarily, you know, how it all went through. Excellent. Yeah. And Dr. Allen? I'm going to give it 6 terrible accents out of 10 because there were some really what were some of those accents in this film? Almost all of them were set by Van Helsing as well. Yeah, no, yeah, really well, yeah, there is incredible. that. Yeah, like it was fine. I'd watch more things in this sort of genre of stuff. I've not, I've not, th- I'm another one who hadn't seen this film mm. and was expecting it to be a lot more campy and a lot more kind of schlocky. And I was like, oh, it's actually all right. Yeah, I think that's It pretty, wasn't super amazing. I think it was that's a right. pretty fair way to sum it up. It, it is all right. It is, it is definitely watchable, which I think for a, a, a lot of media um, that is even 50 years old isn't necessarily true this is you know getting close to the big hundo and it's uh, it's still very watchable I, I do think that it being stripped down is um is is a problem i think from what's in the novel um and i do think that um it suffers from some inconsistent maybe directing and editing um and accents. watch the spanish version yeah mm, well i, I mean, want to we absolutely can we we should I actually... oh hang on a sec uh, jump in oh. Sorry, um, the, I should have said this, is that um, I've only, the only other Dracula movie I have seen, and I didn't finish all of it, was the, the Dracula one in the 90s with, you know, Keanu That's Reeves. The, yeah. Um, it, I got bored and left. Um, it was like people were, watching, people were watching in the backyard and everyone was like, it was actually during all the theatre for Dracula stuff, and I went, this movie is crap. Uh, like there was some beautiful, like, bloody stuff, but it was just like... I didn't enjoy it. Um, so even though this movie isn't like amazing, I actually sat through this whole thing and went like, oh, okay, it's not bad. But mm. it's, you know. Anyway, okay now. No, oh. thank you. <laughs> it gave me time to uh, think of what I'm going to score it. Uh, so I'm going to give the 1931 version of Dracula six corpse-eating armadillos out of ten. <laughs> it is... Um, it is weirder than I thought it was going to be and is all the better for it. So that brings us to the end of this special 200th hot seat edition of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Anna, Murray, Katrina, Ellen, Kate, David and Rob, thank you very much for appearing on this episode. Thank you. And for those of you listening at home, thank you very much. Hey, if you've listened to all 200 episodes, it's nice that you're listening, Mum. Uh, it's also <laughs> nice for everyone else who's listened in as well. Thank you so much. Um, 200 episodes, close to four years of uh, this going on, and I don't see any reason to stop. They keep making movies, so we'll keep reviewing them. Uh, if you want to listen to some episodes uh, that are coming up, say episode 201, 202, or even 203, uh, you can subscribe. Uh, you can get those episodes sent straight to you. You don't need to look for them. Just search for us on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. We have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podcast. Uh, join up there for as little as a dollar a month and get some extra bonus goodies, some of which may be trimmed from this episode. We'll have to wait and see how it goes in the edit. And, of course, there is our Facebook page. You can follow us, get news and updates over there by searching for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. But that is all for this week, so until next time, goodbye!
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.